This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. We've got two parts to our reading today. They come from different parts of Exodus, so we'll go through them. They are in, your re in the bulletin and up on the screen. The first part of our reading comes from Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 28. And the Israelites at this point have been enslaved in Egypt, and now God acts to set them free. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood of the basin and put some on the, blood of, on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. The second part of our reading comes from Exodus 24 verses 1 to 11. And this is where God has rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and brought them to himself at Mount Sinai. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nahab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord, the others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they, burnt, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these, all these words. Moses and Aaron 
Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of lapis luzi, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning is from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not eat again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is mine is with mine on the table the son of man will go as it has been decreed but woe to that man who betrays him they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this hear the word of the lord well good morning david's already played prayed so please be seated and you should have the sermon outlines in your handout as well <clears throat> Well, every Friday night during school term, uh, I and a few other leaders get together with a bunch of teen about a dozen teenagers up in the upper hall for youth group. And at the end of last term, we went around and we asked people what they were thankful for, things that they were looking forward to. And uh, you know, people got through exams. People were happy that the Easter parade was the Easter hat parade was coming up. Uh, people were excited that school was over. Uh, someone was getting a puppy. So there's excitement around about that. All the good things. And then someone said that they are grateful for being where people accept me for who I am. Now this young person captured so beautifully one of our deepest longings to be connected, to be where people accept you for who you are. I think we've all heard about this uh, epidemic of loneliness and young people are some of the loneliest among us. But I think that all of us know something about an experience of disconnection and whether your work and life keeps you busy, too busy to connect deeply, or perhaps you're, as you grow older, your world uh, is shrinking or you feel lonely even when you're with the people who you love and people who were supposed to love you. Now, of course, as a Christian community, we know that there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong with this lack of connection. And so that's why it's one of our priorities this year to grow in the breadth and depth of our relationships, and especially by eating together. Now, to address the issue, we could run a whole bunch of community building programs and events uh, we could get grassroots hospitality going and you know, we'll do some of those things and we have already. 
But to make a real difference, we need to tell a different story. Part of the problem is that we inhabit a story in the world that says that we are fundamentally autonomous individuals. And the relationships, yes, they're good, but they're mostly there to satisfy my desires and help me to actualize myself. But the story of the Bible that reaches from creation into eternity says that we were made for connection and that we have been saved for connection. And a surprising way that the Bible tells this story is through meals. And so last week we've started this series looking at biblical meals. And today I want to take you to two meals in the Old Testament that are defining moments in this story where we see God reconnecting, bringing about a new connection in the world. But first we need to take a little bit of a run-up because in the story so far, you know, last week Michael spoke to us about Genesis uh, right at the beginning, feasting in Eden, when Adam and Eve made, were made to be connected to God, to be connected to one another and be connected to the creation. And remember, as we eat delicious fruit like avocados, if you like avocados, then we receive the creation as a gift of God and enjoy God's provision to us together. But when Adam and Eve took from the fruit that God had forbidden, they severed each of those connections with God, with one another, and with the creation. And so what we find a few chapters later, there is a very significant turning point. Chapter 12 of Genesis, God appears to Abram and makes a series of promises that effectively seek to restore those connections to restore the connection between humanity by making him and his descendants into a great nation, to restore the connection with the world, the earth, by giving them a new land that's fruitful and life-giving, and to restore that connection with God, with him as their God and they as God's people. But then as Abraham's descendants grow and multiply, they find that they end up enslaved in Egypt And once again, these connections are eroded away. They're disconnected from one another. As Pharaoh oppresses them with hard labor and as they even turn against one another. And they're disconnected from the world, from the earth. They're away from the land that God promised them and they're working the land to their death. And they're disconnected from God. We don't hear anything from God in those initial chapters of Exodus. And so it's into this scene that we arrive today. God bursts into the scene in the Exodus. And we just had Easter. I love Easter. Who loves Easter? And it's not just the dark chocolate lint bunny that I got. Uh, Delicious. Easter is the biggest season in the church calendar. It runs for seven weeks all the way up to Pentecost. Why? It's because Jesus' death and resurrection is at the heart of the New Testament, at the heart of the story of God. But if Jesus' death and resurrection is at the heart of the New Testament, then the Exodus is like the Easter of the Old Testament. 
like the death and resurrection of the Old Testament, it is the moment when God shows up and saves his people. The ten plagues, the escape through the walls of the sea, the fiery appearance at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, it's intense and dramatic. And so the Bible looks back again and again at the Exodus. And even Christian Bale, Charlton Heston and Disney have all had a crack at retelling this story. It's so significant. What's this got to do with meals? Well, in the Exodus, bracketing these significant events are two seemingly humble meals. Meals that capture the very essence of the Exodus and capture the very essence of God's plan to renew the creation and restore those connections. And so we begin with the Passover. You might know the story. To turn aside Pharaoh's oppressive hand, God sent nine plagues, turning the Nile to blood, the sky to darkness, sending plagues of swarms of frogs and locusts and gnats and more. But Pharaoh continually refused to let the Israelites go. And so God prepared his final devastating sign. Earlier in Exodus, Pharaoh had slaughtered all the Israelite boys. And now God plans to send a destroying angel to pass through Egypt at night and take the lives of the firstborn sons. But to leave the Israelite firstborns unharmed. And so to take hold of this promise, the Israelites had to have and share in the Passover meal. And there are five, I want to whip through five significant aspects of this Passover meal. And the first is that at twilight, they took a ram that was a lamb that was a year old and they slaughtered it. And the precious life of this, of this lamb was a ransom. It was a payment to redeem the lives of their firstborn sons. This lamb died so that those sons didn't have to. And then they took a bunch of hyssop and they dipped it in the lamb's blood and they threw it all over the door frame. They soaked the frame of the doors, the entrance to their homes with this lamb's blood. And this blood was a symbol, is a symbol of life. And it acted to purify, to cleanse that dwelling of ritual uncleanliness. Think of it like pino clean for wiping away the grime of Egypt and the pollution of the evil and death that they were under. And so this cleansing, it turned away the destroying angel and brought God's protection. And then thirdly, they quickly roasted the animal and they ate it along with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And so as a sacrifice to God, this animal had actually become holy. So when they gather together and they eat the flesh of this animal, they become holy too. It's what's called they're sanctified or consecrated. It means they belong to God. They're brought into a relationship with him as God's own people. And then so fourthly, in all these ways together... Through the giving of the ransom, through the purification, through that making holy, this is how God protected them 
and save them from that final plague. God became their safe place, their refuge. And so that night, as the firstborn Egyptians were killed, Pharaoh let them go and they escaped through the sea. And so through this this Passover meal held in the homes of all these Israelites, they were redeemed from slavery and delivered from evil and death. Now this Passover is a, is, a, is a graphic and visceral story. But what does it have to do with us today? <clears throat> well, I think we need to see that this story, although it can seem so strange and far off, is actually part of our story today, part of the story of you and me. Because it, it, it is at the very... It stands right behind Jesus' death for us. Without understanding the Passover, I don't think you can properly understand Jesus' death. He was killed in our place as a ransom so we don't have to. His blood washes us clean from the evil that, we, that is in us and outside us. And his sacrifice, it sanctifies us, makes us holy and drawn into connection with our God. And so we are redeemed and set free, God free. God is our safe place. He is our refuge. Now, I said before that there are five aspects to this Passover. I've only mentioned four. And the fifth and final element. And did you notice it? It's like you're standing in the story hearing about what Moses and the Israelites did. But then it kind of steps out and says, this isn't just about them. This is about the rest of you through the generations, remembering. They had every spring, they commemorated this event by reenacting it, living it out again in the yearly Passover meal to celebrate their salvation. And they didn't just do it by uh, kind of sitting alone and praying uh, private prayers and reading the Bible by themselves or uh, microwaving a lamb light and easy and eating it in front of the TV. They gathered together as communities in their homes, uh, neighbours, friends, family together to eat this meal. They ate and drank in fellowship as God's people. And not just connected in, in kinship, but connected now in this shared history, this shared story that they had been saved, delivered by God through this first Passover and when their children asked, what are we doing? Why do we celebrate this? They shared their story together with them, that they were redeemed as a connected people. And so they celebrated as a people. Now, I think it's easy for us to default to thinking about our relationship with God as one-on-one, -on -one, like kind of a direct telephone call. But actually, our redemption through Jesus Christ is also deeply communal. We are in this together. We are saved together. It's more like a group, a teleconference call or a Zoom call with thousands, millions of people joining in together, connected in a shared story of deliverance. And so we celebrate as a people now, this celebration of redemption together as a people, 
is exactly what we're about to do when we share the Lord's Supper together. Like the Passover, the Lord's Supper is a celebration of God's redemption for us together. It's important to think that through a little bit. Do you ever feel like, you never feel as you come to communion that you're not good enough for communion? Well, I think you need to remember that this isn't about being good enough. This is about celebrating Christ's gift to us of salvation and redemption. And it means too that it's not just about coming with our, with our private prayers and devotions, so there is a place for that. It's not just about that. It's about engaging in this together. You know, this, what we have here, you know, it's not an altar where we kind of pretend we're re-sacrificing Jesus' body. It is a table around which we share a meal together in community. We eat and drink and we praise and we pray together. But I think, too, that this extends further than the Lord's Supper because any meal, I think, can be a chance for us to express our shared unity and salvation, our shared connection as God's people, and to thank God for all these things that he gives us. Whenever we get together, we nourish ourselves physically. This can be a sign to us of who we really are and where we've come from. We really are a people who have been drawn together in Christ and by his spirit, united in him. We have been saved together by him. And so when you collect your coffee and scones, uh, crackers and biscuits, crackers and cheese, and say hello to one another, why not stop and thank God for this physical nourishment? but also really see it as an opportunity for spiritual nourishment as you engage with others, as you share your life with others. And when you go out next for a meal or you think about preparing one at home, consider inviting others to join you. And then as you eat, celebrate this double blessing of God's provision in the creation and also for eternal life together. In Christ. Well, that's the Passover. But I promised two meals this morning. Uh, you might be thinking, okay, that meal's quite enough. I think if I have another one, I might get a bit of indigestion, but there's always room for dessert. And this one's just a little dessert. And it's the Holy Covenant meal. Now, when God redeemed the Israelites from slavery, what was it for? <clears throat> was it so they could just go and do their own thing, wander back into Egypt and sit around in the desert? Well, no, God's redeemed them for a purpose. And that purpose was that so they could be his holy people, have a new vocation and identity in the world to serve him and to serve the world. And so after the Exodus, God brings them, meets them at Mount Sinai, where he made a solemn oath or a covenant with them. And at the center of that covenant is the promise that they will be his holy people. And have a new purpose and vocation. That they would be his kingdom of priests. They would become a kingdom of priests. What's this about, to be a kingdom of priests? Well, it wasn't about everyone wearing dog collars and becoming dull conversationalists. You know, as priests, it was their job to mediate God's holiness 
and blessing to the world. And this holy vocation was captured in that second reading from Exodus 24, where they share this holy covenant meal together. Again, animals are sacrificed, and this time in a kind of gruesome and symbolic act, the blood is spattered all over the people. And this time the pino clean doesn't just cleanse them, but it also sanctifies them, marks them out as God's holy people. Gives them a new role to display God's character and will in the world, living out his commands of loving God, loving other people, and bringing justice and peace and connection in the world. So the people would see them, see their lives, and be drawn to God to glorify him and to worship him as they are his witnesses in the world. And then those 70 elders representing all of Israel go up the mountain and see God and eat and drink with him. This is a shocking scene. You know, that anyone would ever see the holy God and live, let alone eat and drink with him. But it also captures the astounding significance of these chapters. That God has drawn near to them and made them holy like him and given them this precious new purpose. I uh, am not much of a gardener, but uh, what I need, I look at a garden, I don't know where to start. But what I need is a small patch and a purpose. And uh, our front strip right next to the road, it was not in a good place. It's the thing that everyone sees. I needed a purpose, and once I had that, I could rip out all the weeds, lay down the... I had to look, Google all of this. Uh, lay down the cardboard, put all the... Uh, plant the new plants, put all the... Um, what do they call it? The mulch on top, and cultivate these vines as they grew to become uh, the hedge and the ground cover, they call it. Now, my gardening life was transformed because I had a new purpose and direction. It gave me motivation and a direction. And so if the Passover was about celebrating this redemption, then this covenant meal is about focusing on the, on the holy vocation and purpose in the world for the Israelites that motivated them and drove them to live that way. And this is part of our story too. Well, firstly, it's Jesus' story because he's the one who lived out a holy vo- that holy vocation like none, none before. In his holiness, he drew near to, to us as God did, and he came to eat, not with the holy and the righteous only, but with the sinners, the tax collectors, the sick, the lawbreakers, with us. And instead of being repelled by us, God, in Jesus Christ, sits and eats with us and makes us holy too. And so secondly, this is our story. This is our purpose that drives and motivates us. We are given this vocation in the world to be a kingdom of priests, to display God's holiness and his, be his witnesses to bring him glory. And we can do it in so many ways, as God did at Sinai and Jesus did too, and we can do it through the meals that we share. 
Have you noticed the way that when we finish communion, we pray a prayer that God would send us out in the power of the Spirit to live and work for his praise and glory? That's because of this vocation that we now have. And so in all our lives and meals, we can live out this vocation. We are called to be like Jesus, open and hospitable, people who have the words of eternal life and this message that brings cleansing and holiness, who draw near. We can be those people who draw near to others who are not like ourselves so we can share and be witnesses to the character of God and his saving presence. And so we have in these two meals, in the Passover and the Holy Covenant meal, these two fundamental expressions of what it means to be a Christian. The Passover is a sign of God's salvation and redemption for us together as God's people. The Covenant meal, that holy vocation that we have as God's holy people in the world. And so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, won't you join with me to celebrate together his gift of salvation and redemption? And as we go out into the world, won't you join with me to continue to celebrate and share his holiness in our world, to be witnesses, and so share our homes, our lives, and our food? Let me pray. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your holiness and in the holiness of your Son, you sent him to become one of us and to be with us. Thank you that you invite us to be your holy people, that you redeem us from slavery to sin and evil. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to be people who live this out, who celebrate the redemption that we have, to share it with one another and to take it out to the world as we share your holiness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.